Hello and welcome to 100 Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Sandra Lewin and I am your host. I'm on the mission to make insurance a career choice, not a chance. Together with my amazing guests, we are sharing our career stories, tips and much more and hope to inspire to join and remain in insurance. The industry is changing, so it couldn't be a better time to showcase the fantastic women across the insurance market. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to 100 Women in Insurance podcast. Yelhis, is lovely to have you here. I am very excited to record this. I'm based in London, you're based in Mexico, so this makes it even extra special. Introduce yourself to those who don't know you, please. Oh, hi, Sandra. Many thanks for the opportunity. I feel very humble and honored to have this opportunity and being able to talk to you and your great audience on this brilliant initiative. As you mentioned, I'm Yelhis Hernandez and the country manager for Lloyd's in Mexico and the market development manager for Central America. And I'm not Mexican and actually Venezuelan, but I'm living in Mexico. But this is this is a something that I will come back to because I did look at the variety of countries you worked in in your career and I'm really keen to hear that. But I always start this podcast with first question and that is was a career in insurance a choice or a chance? <laughs> I think it was a chance. I mean, um <laughs> let me let me commence by saying that uh, I started my career as an auditor at Deloitte, and then I moved to the oil and gas industry, as did many other Venezuelans, probably you know that. But at a certain mm -hmm. point, there came a political change that affected the industry, and I decided that it was time for me to move. So I found myself in insurance. I saw a job uh, post on LinkedIn and I decided to apply because I thought what I learned from the oil and gas industry could be applied to that role, which was risk management. At that point, I didn't know anything about insurance other than what we usually know, you know, health and motor insurance, but from a customer standpoint. So when I joined back in 2008, I had to I had to start uh, from scratch, but I did have a lot of people that supported me during my learning curve through the years. Fantastic! And you've held a variety of roles and variety, and you've lived in so many countries. You've mentioned your first role through LinkedIn, but how did you manage to navigate and and talk me through the various countries that you lived in and the sort of roles and how did you navigate moving from one to another? Well, my first long-term move was with Zurich to Argentina. I quickly realized that working and living in a different country was a challenge. That wasn't the first international movement. Actually, I lived in Switzerland before with Zurich as well, but the long-term, I mean, was uh, to Argentina. Um, how I found these opportunities? Uh, I will say that the first one was created by me. I made a business case due to the situation that Venezuela was experiencing at that time. I was able to demonstrate that if I continue working and living there, it could jeopardize the ability to perform my role. And this was well received by the senior management. And from there, we started um, my move. My second move uh, was to London. 
and it was driven by a person that I admired a lot, and you probably know her, Mary O'Connor. We met mm -hmm. at a conference. I uh, I was um, I was doing while I was uh, uh, at compliance, and at that time we had this conversation about my experience, my past experience, and she thought that I could provide some of that in the London environment, working with the international region. And I remember experiencing the imposter syndrome because this was a role that had to oversight almost every single project ongoing in 42 countries. Imagine, wow. imagine, imagine how I felt having this mm. huge role in my early 30s. And in the case and moving to another country. Yes, yes, right? absolutely. <laughs> and I will tell you more about that experience in London in, 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 in the short term. But um, just to finalize, in the case of Brazil and Mexico, I also made a business case. Those roles mm -hmm. had not been created yet. So I put together facts and demonstrate the need for those roles. And they and these helped move me to from London to Brazil and eventually to Mexico. Interesting, because I think that's a very interesting point that you've actually created the roles for yourself and you put a business plan together. Talk me through that a little bit about, like if someone is sitting there and going, oh, I know there's plenty of people actually sitting there going, I'd love to move to Mexico or to, I don't know, Singapore, wherever. How how do you go about creating a role for yourself and negotiating that? Well, in the case of Argentina, I think the, the role was there. I mean, what I mm. did was to rationalize the need for me to move from one country to another. It's not mm. the role itself that wasn't there, but the rationale behind why do I need to be there instead of, you know, living in Venezuela is what I put together. And in, yeah. and you can see like, well, the role, you know, FT counts, you know, everything that all of the HR people take into account is where the FT is. So the role wasn't there. So we needed to create that role in that particular mm. country. But the rationale behind why not having it in Venezuela versus having it in Argentina was my, you know, you know, my business case. And in the case of mm -hmm. Mexico, I remember that I was doing this project within Willis Tower Watson, and it was for um, improving the operational processes. And I, I realized that there was no ops department in Mexico. So we put together mm -hmm. the business case, we did the assessment, we kind of, you know, uh, evaluate the gains, the pros and cons. And at the end, I presented this business case to the to the local CEO. And at the end, he said, well, do you want to have this job? Actually, it was the creation of the of the operational area with the consolidation of all of these silos that were happening in the different uh, line of businesses. Uh, you know, putting together one single space for, you know, line of businesses being managed centrally is what I did. And when I presented this, he said, well, you want to implement this? And I was like, okay, I didn't have enough experience on the operational side as well. But I remember that for me to be 
part of this operation team, I did an immersion in IT. I went to um, Ipswich in in the UK and I spent like mm. a month with the IT guys trying to understand everything about IT. So I did my work. I, yeah. you know, I put myself out there and I did my work. Yeah, and you worked for your imposter syndrome because I'm sure it was coming back at every stage, isn't it? I always say that, you know, there's a lot of things out there, beat your imposter syndrome, get rid of it. I'm like, it, it doesn't go away. We learn to live with it and we learn to work with it because at every stage of our career, we take in something new on. And I hope there are people out there that are like, I never get an imposter syndrome. I own this, I'm good. But I think most of us do. Yeah. It's just we develop toolkits to cope with it. Exactly, exactly. I think I faced this, you know, many, many times during my career. Mm. I think if somebody says, oh, no, I don't know what is that, it's lying to themselves, actually, <laughs> not to us, to themselves. Because, I mean, you have a fear of, you know, sitting in a room with a lot of people that is senior and that probably have mm. more experience than you. And I remember this. This is an example. Uh, I was um, dealing with a large claim here with a hurricane no deal. And there was this guy. He probably at that time, he had 35 years of experience my age. So... Mm. <laughs> I was 35 and he was, you know, uh, the same age of of me in regards of the yeah. experience. And I was like, okay, how I'm going to be trusted by this guy? Mm. And I remember that one thing that differentiated me was the fact that I was able to manage the conversation in English with the senior management that was seated in that table and he couldn't. And he has mm. to rely on me to kind of, you know, mm. pass on the message to these senior mm. people dealing with this large claim. And at the end, I remember that he always called me to his office saying, do you mind, you know, checking this? Would you agree with this approach? So at the end, I gained his confidence. Uh, but at the beginning, I was treated like, oh, this is a child. She yeah. doesn't know why is she, mm -hmm. you know, sitting in this table and so. Mm. I think that's a that's a very good example. Thank you for sharing that. Because yes, you may not have the years behind you, but you potentially have a different skill that's you know missing in the room. And I always say you've been invited in that room, so look for kind of the reason why you're invited and, and sit at that table proudly because you are there. Um, so that's a, that's a very good example um, of, of how you overcome or find a way to deal with the imposter syndrome, isn't it, over time and reflect um, because that's an important part as well. So talk to me a little bit more about your current role, country manager of Mexico, um, Central American market development. I mean, I'm assuming your days are very <laughs> different and I know you're very active as well outside of your day-to-day sort of, um, -day job uh, working with, with women uh, in, uh, in Mexico and beyond. Um, tell me a bit more about your day. Thinking, you know, someone new 
is looking into insurance, they're looking into opportunities and ways to uh, further their career. What does a country manager do? What, what is that role? Not two days are the same, for sure. <laughs> so a friend of mine called me uh, an ambassador, and I think it's really, really accurate. I, I thought it was a pretty cool way of describing my job. Um, my role requires to make connections, basically, between the market participants, the industry professionals, the regulators, the citizens, the brokers, with the right contacts. So hmm. it could be attending events at the British Embassy or the Insurance Association or the Insurtech Association, or just having lunch with um, a citizen or a broker, or just you know attend a conference just to uh, stay up today on what's happening in the insurance industry. This is my job, and the networking actually yeah. is you know a great deal of my of my job so i have to network a lot and i heard today the the podcast with inga and she said that networking is mm. key is crucial so because my responsibility within Lloyd's is ensure the local regulatory compliance and ensuring that the commercial objective are achieved ensure that my managing agents and cover holder have the equipment to uh to 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 build the business on the ground i need to be on top of everything and the way of doing it it's just going and meet with a government official going for a lunch and meet with a client or a resident have a dinner reception no so bad no what would you say is the other key skills. So if someone is in the career and they're thinking, well, that sounds a bit of, you know, I'll be interested in, what would you say this, the skills that you need to have in order to be a country manager? I will say preparation. I will never go into a situation, whatever, whatever it is, um, without being prepared. I have a team that supports me in London with content and material if I have to deliver. So I have to take advantage of that team and use their support in the best way I can. And once we have that content together, I start a routine of preparation that includes recording myself with or without video doing a rehearsal, you know, standing in front of my dog and my cat, <laughs> reading the material, studying the material as, as much as possible. So I never go into a situation, a situation not knowing what I have to say. I, mm. And I will say, you must be prepared and that will give you a position of advantage in any situation. So on, yeah. on the business side, you cannot discuss uh, insurance needs with a risk manager not knowing what they mm -hmm. do or how they do it. So, you know, this video from Samantha Richwell on the Barbie insurance mm. needs, I think that's hilarious, but actually it's true. When you are in front of a client, you, ha you have to be, you know, prepared. You have done the research, you know, a great deal of what they do and what they need. And you are prepared to respond to any question and provide good answer with a great deal of understanding of their needs. 
But always, mm. always, I will always say this to my mentees. Remember asking questions will open the doors before yes. telling a client what they need. Uh, you, you, you need to say, how can I help you? Mm. And of course, also, and I mentioned this before, I heard uh, early today Inga saying networking and negotiation skills for sure. Building your network very early in your career will make a difference. Um, I, I can tell you, I remember that one thing that I discovered that helped me to get this role was the fact that I know a great deal of people within the region. And of course, they provide a good feedback. <laughs> but no, 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 yes. seriously, building your network base as early as possible is crucial. Yeah. And, and and I think that's a that's a very powerful message that comes across from a lot of these these conversations. What's your favorite thing about your job? Well, uh, it is definitely that I have the opportunity to work with so many uh, people across the region. This helps me to build my network to enhance mm. my commercial and communication skills. And just to have the opportunity to present to a company or an audience uh, something is, you know, what I enjoy the most, like, you know, be in front of people, being able to talk, you know, going to events, traveling around the region, meeting new people. It is always exciting and never boring. I love what I do. <laughs> I can, I can imagine. And, um, You've talked about the networking and the importance of actually people getting your role because you've networked, because you have a good networks and they talk positively about you. We start to use that term about personal brand in a corporate environment. What does it mean to you and what advice you've held a lot of senior uh, C-suite roles in your career? What advice would you give to someone that's trying to move up in their career and is thinking of creating that personal brand for themselves so they are being spoken about in the right way to allow their career for me i wanted to be respected so i used to do it a lot i read every piece of paper in front of me i asked hundreds of questions i made mistakes of course but I learned from them. And I think every success comes with a great uh, deal of work uh, that you have to do yourself. No one is going to do it for you. But if you demonstrate mm. that uh, you are here to learn and work towards the goal, and you will find the support. Yeah. And remember, never take anything for granted. Never take that you are gonna get that goal you have to work for it and make sure that you tell your managers that you want that goal. That's so important. So yeah. important. The amount of people complain going, oh, I'm not getting promoted or I didn't get onto this project. It's like, well, did you tell anyone that you wanted to do it? Yes. So important. People don't read minds, isn't it? So you have to get it out there. Yes. Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I, I think people misunderstand how these you know, going up to the ladder works because it's not, um, it's not like uh, military 
where you are going, mm. you know, from one mm. role to another based on mm. your years of experience. You actually have to uh, ask for the next move. You have to be close to your HR business partners. You have to build your your profile. You have to make sure that everybody knows your, you know, potential and where do you have capabilities to, you know, excel and that you can put that you know, into a role that is there for you because the role is there, but you have to, you know, kind of go towards it. Another thing that I think probably people don't consider important is you have to have a balance between your personal life and your work life. I think everybody misunderstands that or, or, or have this common mistake that if you give yourself to the company, they will promote you. And that's mm. far from true. Everybody needs a balance, it's good for your mental health. So I take advantage of that gene class that helped me feel connected and grounded. And then I come back to work and do my best. And this is a priority for me. And it's really helping me to get the best of me. That's a great, that's a great tip. And going back to you traveling and having worked in London and also being based in a Latin region, if someone is listening here and kind of thinking, I would love to move to Mexico, Venezuela, but let's, let's go with Mexico because that's where you are based currently. Um, you know, what are the cultural differences when it comes to doing business that people should be aware of? Well, Having lived and worked in seven different countries, I can attest yeah. to the fact that even in Spanish, language can vary dramatically. The disparity increases when it comes to English. You know that. So mm. my advice is to find a reliable friend who can help you navigate the language and cultural barrier. Mm. And let me give you this example. When I was living in London, I've, a friend of mine gave me this piece of paper with three columns. The third one contained the common expression used by British people. The second column was how a person who isn't a native English speaker will understand those expressions. And the third column was the actual meaning. <laughs> really, I was shocked to learn how much I wasn't understanding. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that one. <laughs> yes. So my friend helped me navigate the, this cultural difference. Uh, but yeah. the issue is also present in Spanish as Venezuelans, mm. Argentinians, and Mexicans use different words for the same thing. So even mm. among Spanish speakers, misunderstanding can occur. That's and, interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm. and the way, people interact is also different depending upon the country. So there are differences in words and expression, but also in manners. Argentinians, for instance, are very direct and straightforward, and you have to understand that. People think Europe, all the same, um, Latin, all the same. Well, no, there are a lot of significant differences. So when you are considering which country, find a person that knows that country well, is local and can really explain it to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know you kind of moving away from a career, but still sticking to the topic of insurance and, 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 and women, especially in the insurance. 
you are very active in that space. Um, I know you've just had dive in the festival as well um, uh, in in Mexico. We talk a lot in London, well, increasingly about the equality, equality between men and women and, and the DNI space. Comparing London to Mexico, what's the kind of what's the what's the conversations that are taking place and what's the percentage split that you are facing locally? I think we are having the same conversation as in London. Um, actually, I was in a in a presentation last Tuesday. And they were, you know, um, presenting this report from the Mexican Institute. And what they say, yeah. and I'm quoting them, is um, women are underrepresented in companies, especially in senior positions. Although 43% of the workforce is made up of women, they occupy only 4% of general management positions and wow. 13% of positions within boards of directors. Mexico has the lowest female representation on boards in Latin America and is below countries such as Turkey with 17%, the United States 31%, and Spain with uh, 36%. And this is according wow. to the OECD. And if this current trend continues, Mexico will achieve equal representation within 30 years, and that is in 2052. So wow. we are not good, but the conversation <laughs> so is get... there, which is good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I was I was in this meeting and a lot of companies were there. You know, they are doing uh, things. Um, the HR, uh, um, um, the HR uh, representative were there. And they were talking about what they are doing, and they are trying to promote women within within their companies. They are trying to to give women opportunities, to train people, to make sure that the opportunities are you know presented to an equal panel of candidates. And so, so you know, we are working towards that. Yeah, is this something that you think is working well in Mexico that you haven't seen? Been done in the UK that we could learn from each other. I mean, from a DNI perspective, I think uh, I think Europe is doing really well in terms of you know positioning, you know what needs to be done. But one thing that was mentioned on Tuesday was it is good to have that list of things, but it's the reality is, are we actually doing? So it's the implementation is kind of, you know, being true to yourself and actually, uh, you know, the numbers are reflecting exactly what we're saying or not. Because mm -hmm. if we have this list of activities and the UK is an example, we want to achieve this, this, this and this, but how are we doing it? Mm -hmm. And the, the yeah. you know, the pipeline needs to be clear in order to achieve it. Yeah. And what Latin America is doing is trying to mirror what the European countries are doing, or perhaps mm -hmm. the U UK is doing it, is doing, sorry. But um, the pipeline is not so clear. Mm -hmm. And is mm -hmm. uh, there is a disconnection in the in the speech and the action. 
I think that's a very good point because it's all great to put it on a plan. It's all great to create posters, but are you actually taking action? Is is that? And I hear people talk about it a lot. It's like, can we stop talking and actually start doing? Uh, and I think that's that's where it stems from. What would you say is the the most important thing that we do need to do to try and make that action actually put it put it in place? Uh, it is time for for companies to recognize those individuals from lower socioeconomic backgrounds that often face lack opportunities and exposure to professional sectors like insurance. I I come from a lower socioeconomic background and I had to start working at the age of 15 to support myself. Mm. I pay I pay for my own education. At, at one point, I didn't have a permanent place to call home. So mm. that was in Venezuela where I grew up, but most of my insurance career has been in foreign countries where I arrived as an immigrant. So another mm. part of the population that is part of you know this DNI. Um, world. So I ended up working in a, in a male dominated industry and it was so difficult for me. So for me as a senior woman in this industry, what I want to do is pay it forward. And I hope mm -hmm. that my journey shows that determination, belief in, in your abilities and the support and guidance and encouragement from others can help overcome any hurdles. It will help you to build resilience, which is the skill mm -hmm. that I believe is fundamental in life and work. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a uh, resilience is so important. We we know there is a challenge, especially in the UK, um, around retention of women um, between age of 30 to 40 due to sort of the various life cycles that most of us go through, not all, but most do. Um, and uh, companies don't support the life cycle. And as a result, we lose a lot of talent. Um, and that's something that until we start changing that and encouraging that and creating those environments like suffering mentorship and empowerment um we won't see that change because that's where we lose the candidates for the senior roles and the exec roles isn't it which is yeah a shame well i mean i really enjoyed talking to you and thank you so much for sharing so openly and sharing the the your journey i always close the episode with a question of what was the one thing that you got to experience thanks to insurance that you don't think you would have otherwise? This is funny because I thought I was a person that didn't have commercial capabilities to sell anything. <laughs> so I thought I couldn't do it, but now I can see that most of what I do can be seen as, as a selling. So when I talk about noise and how the market works, it is me selling the company. When I talk about a project uh, and why is it good for a client or a them or a company to do business with us, it is actually me selling a project. So I ended up selling at Lois, and this was something that I thought I didn't have on my blog. So it is a revelation when you think about it that by doing a commercial role and I'm constantly delivering a sales pitch. 
Amazing, amazing. Yes. <laughs> so you've learned quite a lot about yourself that you didn't think you could do. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> Love that. Well, it's been lovely to have you and it's been lovely to speak to you. Um, thank you so much for joining me again. And I really look forward to following your journey and, and um, the journey of, of the work that you do as well in this space to support women in Mexico and beyond. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. It's been lovely having this conversation with you. And thanks again for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Help us spread the word by following us on LinkedIn and TikTok at 100 Women in Insurance. Rate our podcast and share it on your social media platforms. Remember, this is a podcast for you, so your opinion matters to us. If you have any recommendations or comments, please get in touch through our social media. We would love to hear from you. See you in our next episode.